Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Morning, Cape Cod Church. (laughs) It is especially good to be here with you this morning after a week away. What a way to start the new year for our family. We literally started uh, New Year's Day. Uh, Across the counter, we had six COVID rapid tests and also the 2022 party glasses that you have to celebrate all across the counter. What a way to start. But we are grateful for the good health of our family, so thankful for all of you who've been praying for us. And I'm glad that I get to be here with you this morning to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about the new year. Because with the new year comes New Year's resolutions. Pastor Tom mentioned that a little bit last week, and so I'm curious because I wasn't here. Show of hands, how many people set some kind of New Year's resolution or New Year's goal at the beginning of the year? Okay, a good number of us, and for those of you online, you can raise your hand in the chat and we'll see it later. Good number of us, not everybody, but a good number of us. Even if you don't set resolutions, there is just something about the new year. A fresh start that gets us thinking about our lives, who we want to be, where we want to go, maybe how we want to grow personally. And even if you don't set a resolution, there's just something within human nature that has this urge to grow, to become better, to become good. However you might define good for yourself, something in us that each year we take a look back and we think, how Do I want to be better? What version of myself do I want to be in this year? And Jesus famously sets a kind of New Year's resolution for the human race in a sermon that is so famous that even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard bits and pieces of it along the way, and you may not even know where they're from, but it's this famous sermon from the very beginning of his ministry. In the beginning, as he starts to kind of grow a following and crowds of people start following him from town to town, one day he goes up onto a hillside and he begins to teach them. And he starts off on this message that is radically encouraging and inclusive. He talks to these people from all walks of life and he says things like, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who grieve and mourn. Blessed are those who are meek or humble. It sets off on this incredibly encouraging note. And then as he continues to talk, he transitions. And as he continues to talk, he starts to set these standards for his followers. And he sets the bar really, really high. He starts to talk, and as he does, it becomes radically challenging these standards that are so high. He starts saying things like, you know that it's bad to murder, but I say that it's not good that you even get angry with your friend. He says, you know that you're not supposed to cheat on your spouse, but I say you shouldn't even look at somebody walking across the street and think about it. He says, you know that it's an eye for an eye, that that's how justice should be taken, but I say that if somebody hits you, turn the other cheek. You know that you're supposed to love your neighbor, but I say, love your enemy. 
He sets this incredibly high standard, and then in case they hadn't gotten it or they were taking him a little bit too literally, Jesus summarizes it in this statement in verse 48, which is a little bit less famous than the rest. He says, well then, you must be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. Talk about high standards. I think there is a reason that this verse is somewhat less famous than the rest of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's not the kind of resolution that we want to set for ourselves. I mean, perfection is a nice idea, but it's actually so high. Jesus sets such a high standard here in this verse that we really don't even want to take it seriously. Like, there's something in it's like, well, surely he must be exaggerating or... Okay, Jesus, like, I know what you mean. You really just want us to be as good as possible. Wink, wink, like, we'll be perfect. I mean, we want to be good, but we don't want to be that good. Jesus sets this odd high standard. I recently got breakfast with uh, two high school friends, and uh, we were catching up, talking about the holidays, talking about the new year, and the topic of New Year's resolutions came up. And so I asked him, uh, oh, okay, do you guys set any resolutions for the year? My first friend said, yeah, I have a, I have a resolution for 2022. I want to start my day earlier. Uh, she goes, I want to start every day starting at 6 a.m. When I do, when I get up earlier, I just feel better and more productive. And so that's my goal for the year, to start my day at 6 a.m. all year. I said, oh, that's a great goal. I'm not a morning person, so I found it particularly impressive and admirable. I said, oh, that's great. And so then I turned to my other friend, I said, uh, who will rename nameless, who will remain nameless? I said, have you uh, set any goals for 2022? And I don't really know what I was expecting, but she came and she said, yeah, my goal for 2022 is to not leave my bath towel on my bedroom floor. I was like, oh. I was like, I don't know what I was expecting. I was like, that's a good goal, I guess. I mean, that's a positive thing. And she was like, yeah. She was like, I always leave it on my bedroom floor, and then I always forget. So when I go to take a shower the next day, it's not there for me to pick up. And so my goal in 2022 is to get it closer to the bathroom. <laughs> like, all right. Like, that is a manageable and positive New Year's resolution. But you know what? I loved that resolution. I walked away, and I was like, I, I really appreciate that than this person. Like, yeah, I mean, it may not be shooting for the stars, but I know that she is going to achieve her goal in 2022. Like, I really believe that. I think that she's going to move the towel a couple meters closer to the bathroom this year, and I love that. Like, she's not shooting for the stars, but she's probably going to do it. And do you know what? I'm not so sure that my other friend is going to wake up at 6 a.m. every day in 2022. But I bet this first friend, she's going to achieve her goals. If you can't be perfect, at least be realistic. I think some of us, when we hear about the Christian ideal or moral ideals, we kind of have this reaction, this reaction to Jesus' words. Perfection is a nice idea, but it's not realistic. Come on, Jesus, be realistic. Perfect? You can't really mean that. Some of us, this has been your impression of Christian morality, or worse, <laughs> your impression of religious people. An impossibly high standard 
that you've never been able to meet, chased by constant guilt. And it leaves us with two options. Either Jesus didn't really mean what he said, like God didn't really mean it, it was just an idea, or God did mean it, and he's cruel. Because if Jesus knows us, if God knows us, and he knows that we can't possibly be perfect, if he knows that, and he still sets that standard for us, then he must be cruel and terribly disappointed. Some of you, that's been your interaction with religion and with religious people, and so you walked away, thinking either that God was cruel or that he was disappointed in you, because how could a God set a standard like that? How could he mean it? The problem is that Jesus troubles that narrative. Jesus, God incarnate, his life is so incredibly kind. We see him treat the least of these with utter compassion. He draws in those who are outcasts, those who are failures in the eyes of society, and he encourages them. He said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are you who are on the outskirts. He starts this speech being radically encouraging. How can the two possibly go together? Perhaps there's more to the story. But if we go to the beginning of Jesus' speech, he says something else that I think gives us a little bit more context. In Matthew 5, verse 17, just as Jesus has finished his words of encouragement to the people, and he's transitioning to this section where he talks about kind of this moral standard for his followers, he says this. He says, "'Don't suppose that I came to destroy the law or prophets.'" I didn't come to destroy them. I came to fulfill them. The law and prophets were the shorthand for the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The law being the first five books, the moral code that the Jews lived by. And Jesus says, I have come to fulfill that. I have come to live a perfect and blameless life, to live up to the moral code that it speaks of. But look what else he says. He also says that he is going to fulfill the prophets. This described the second half of the Old Testament, the words of the prophets of ancient Israel, the prophets who said that one day a savior would come to rescue Israel and the world. And that savior, that king, would restore relationship with God, would restore the relationship between humanity and God so that someday his presence would flood the earth. And Jesus says, I have come to fulfill that too. I have come to live a perfect life, and I have come to fulfill that prophecy, to restore relationship with the Father. And the listeners of Jesus knew that that wasn't just good news for Jesus. It was also good news for everybody else, because they knew that the problem was not that the moral standard, not that the law was too hard or heavy, but that they were too far away from God. From the very beginning pages of the story, they knew that we were intended to live in close relationship with our Heavenly Father. Do you remember the creation narrative, or perhaps you haven't heard it before, but in the creation narrative, in the first pages of Genesis, it talks about creating the world and everything in it. And it describes Jesus walking in the Garden of Eden, walking amongst his creation, this beautiful picture of an intimate relationship with one another. 
And do you remember how he describes creation? Good, 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 very good. Because creation, those who are living in intimate relationship with their heavenly Father, cannot help but be good. When you have a relationship with the source of all life, with goodness itself, you can't help but be filled with that goodness, with those gifts. And so this was the image that Israel longed for, to go and to be restored with a relationship with the Father, with goodness itself, so that we could be filled with his gifts. This is what it meant to fulfill the law and the prophets. So if Jesus' claim, if what he said was true, it was significant, not just for him, but for everyone. And now we see why Jesus' claim, why Jesus' summary starts to take the shape that it does. In verse 48, well then, you must be perfect, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's relational. The two go together. We're meant to reflect the Father, to receive his goodness. And that's exactly what Jesus claims. It turns out that he meant what he said, but there's more. Jesus sets a high standard, but he makes an equal promise. And the promise is total transformation. My sister likes cycling. Uh, She likes bicycling. And when I say this, I mean she, like, really likes bicycling. Uh, When she graduated from college, she decided that instead of uh, coming home with us on the plane, she was going to travel home from California on a bicycle and not the electric kind. And she actually did it. It was really, really impressive, a very cool trip. And she's done a lot of things since. She's done a lot of trips since on her, on her bike, and she's even done a couple of uh, races, triathlons. The, these are the kind that you have to qualify for. So she's done a couple races where she got qualifying times, and then she's entered into a triathlon and done that, and it's really, really impressive. Um, I am not a cyclist, and I'm not particularly good at biking, but when my sister came home to live with us during the pandemic, she moved here temporarily from New York City for a few months, she started to get kind of antsy, and she's like, I want to go on a trip. And she was like, we should go on a trip. And I was like, no, we should not do anything. You should go on a trip. But my sister is savvy, and she knows that I love her, and she's very, very clever. So she set the ball really high. She high-rolled me. She was like, all right, Britt, come on. We could take a bike trip to Maine, and it would take about a week, and we could camp along the way, and it would be totally manageable. You could do it. And I was like, pretty easily, no, that sounds crazy. I'm definitely not going to do that with you. But she's smart. So she was like, okay, that's fine, that's fine. What about a trip to Provincetown? We could bike to Provincetown. It would only take two days. It would be really easy, just one night overnight. You could totally manage that super easy. Come on, will you please do it with me? And I fell for it. So last summer, uh, not last summer, the summer of 2022, I did what I thought was the impossible with my sister and some other friends and siblings. We biked from Sandwich to Provincetown 60 miles over the course of two days. And guess what? It was not easy. She also lied to me. It was not easy. It was extremely painful. And after a night of being sore from sleeping on the ground and sitting on my bike all day, I did not think that I was going to be able to finish on day two. But we did. We made it to Provincetown. It was a really cool trip. 
But do you know why I survived that trip? It was because my sister's a really good coach. She was with me every step of the way. She encouraged me, she showed me how to bike well, she showed me different strategies, and she kept pace with me. So every step of the way, when I was going slower on my bike than you can walk, so slow that I was almost falling over, she stuck with me. And she looked at me on day two and she said, we're going to do this, you can do this, even if we have to walk our bikes to Provincetown together, we are going to cross the finish line. I think some of us have looked at the moral standard of Christianity and we've mistaken it for a qualifier. We showed up to the race and we thought we were supposed to do it on our own. We were supposed to have a qualifying time and we thought, I could never do that. What kind of cruel God set up this race? And so you walked away. The moral standard of Christianity is not a qualifier that is meant to be accomplished on your own. Jesus showed up to the race, and he saw that you came alone, and he knew they can't do it on their own. They were never meant to cross that finish line by themselves, so I'll do the race for them. And he finished. But that's only part of the story. Yes, he came to live a perfect life, but it turns out that after the qualifier, there's a triathlon. And you were meant to run. You were meant to race that triathlon with him together. This life is not a race that you were meant to go on your own. It's one that you were meant to do with God. And you can just see Jesus as he's gathering these people together, as he's teaching them, and as he says this incredibly challenging thing, you must be perfect just as your father is perfect. It starts to take on new life. Do you know what he's doing there? He's bringing them in. He's taking them by the shoulder, and he's pointing to the finish line. He's saying, see there? That's the finish line, and we're going to get you there. It's not just you by yourself. You're not meant to get there alone. I'm going to get you there, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. He sets an incredibly high standard, but he also makes an equal promise. He makes a great promise, a promise of perfect goodness and complete transformation. And it ends in eternity, but it starts today in relationship with him. He grants us a relationship with the Father. He grants us his own spirit to be filled with his goodness each day to run that race with him. And so when we see in this verse that he says, you must be perfect as your Father is perfect, it takes on new meaning. It's not a harsh challenge or demand. It's a promise. Take another look at 548 with me. He says, well, then you must be perfect. That word perfect is the word teleos in Greek. And it means moral perfection, but it also means something more. It has the sense of something being brought to completion, being fully developed or fully accomplished. The perfection that Jesus is describing is a process 
always intended to be done in relationship with our Creator. And that's what it means in Philippians 2.13. Paul famously describes this life as a race, this race to our full transformation. And in Philippians 2.13, when he's describing that to the people, he says, after all, God himself is the one who's at work among you, who provides both the will and the energy to enable you to do what pleases him. You are not running this race alone, and you were never meant to. If it looks harsh, if it looks cruel, it's only because we understood, misunderstood what the race was. And suddenly Jesus' standard starts to take on new meaning. It's not a harsh demand, it's a promise. It's an invitation to a life of discovery with the God of the universe who promises that he's going to get us to the finish line. When Jesus says you must be perfect, he's saying, do you see that? Yeah, it's awe-inspiring. That standard is almost unbelievable. But I'm going to get you there. That's my promise. And if that's true, that the God of the universe, who is goodness itself, wants to transform your life, starting now and ending in eternity, if that's true, then there's really only one resolution worth having. If it's true, it means it frees us from the burden, from the weight of expectation. It frees us from the guilt of having to do everything on our own. The expectation that our own effort will be enough, it frees us from that guilt and those cycles of effort and failure, resolution and failed resolution, because you were never meant to do it on your own. But it also frees us to dream. It frees us to be challenged, to say, yeah, that's the goal, and someday I'm going to get there. I'm in this race. I'm not just sitting it out and waiting. God is not disappointed He's not cruel. He's inviting you to a journey of discovery. So this year, my challenge for us, if you have any resolutions in 2022, if you want to become better this year, if you have goals, let your first goal be to get as close to the Father as you possibly can. Let your first resolution to be to spend time with him. Other goals and resolutions will come out of that as you spend time together, but you and I will be able to achieve things that we never thought we could. Those resident struggles, the things in us that we are ashamed of, that we're not proud of, those are the things that we begin to dream about. And he will take us places that we could never possibly go on our own because we were never meant to. We were always meant to be filled with his goodness and his gifts. So if you have one resolution this year, let it be to draw close to him. And it won't be easy. It's a long race. It's still going to be hard. We're still going to fall. But when you run the race with your coach, with your father, the God of the universe, it changes the game. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you this morning, looking out ahead to a new year and looking back. 
perhaps on some things we regret, perhaps looking forward to some ways that we'd like to grow. Father, this morning we come to you and we confess that we know we can't do it on our own. We thank you for being the kind of God who runs the race with us. Who loves us so much that you have offered to fill us with your life and your goodness. We thank you for not leaving us alone to fulfill a standard that we could never fulfill, Father, but instead setting us free to dream about what we could become. Father, if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you, who doesn't have that relationship with you, but longs deep inside, Father, to be good, perhaps who's walked away thinking that you were cruel, that they could never live up to your standard, not knowing that you were waiting to walk this life with them. Father, this morning I pray that you would just meet us in that space. We know that you are faithful, that if only we reach out to you, Father, we call on your name, and we ask that you would enter our lives, that you do it. We thank you and we praise you for the great standard that you have fulfilled, Father, for the great promise that you've given us in eternity, for the comfort of your Son, who loved us exactly where we are at, and because of that, has promised to make us good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this message from our current series. If this is your first time listening, we'd love to meet you in person. We have services every Sunday at 10 a.m. in East Falmouth, Massachusetts. Or join us for our Sunday live stream on YouTube at the same time. If you enjoyed the Cape Cod Church podcast, we hope you'll consider leaving us a review so that other people can discover us too. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Thanks again for tuning in, and I'll see you on the next episode.